I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century. From I Love Lucy to News Radio, or, ooh, I should have done gay sitcoms. Uh... <laughs> From Ellen to Will and Grace. Hey, that's history for ya. Welcome to part, oh gosh, three of Pride Month. One, two, four of Pride Month. As you can tell, I don't have a script, except when I get to my script, which is in a second. This is a bonus episode. I'm your host, Brett White. I'm a reporter producer for Decider.com. And as I'm doing every other episode um, during Pride Month, I'm just doing a chat storytelling uh <laughs> chatty storytelling episode where i just hit record and then go um but trust me this one is going to be fully bananas so this month so far i've already talked to jim colucci and frank DeCaro about the golden girls sisters of the bride episode then i talked to justin kirkland about the roseanne episode dances with darlene and uh spoiler alert although i might have already said this seinfeld the outing is coming up next uh with Mono Agapian of the Drag Hurt podcast. So there's a lot of Drag Race talk coming up next week. Um, but also in between those two episodes, in between the Golden Girls episode and the Roseanne episode, I did a special storytelling episode where I talked about a couple of gay legends of sitcom history, three uh, gay directors who worked in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, whose names you probably didn't know and whose stories you if you didn't know their if you didn't know their names you definitely didn't know their stories and it was super super fun to get to talk about uh, Robert Moore, John Ehrman and Arthur Lubin. So please go back and listen to that one. And I before we get into the meat of today's episode, of course, I need to just run through a couple of business again. Please donate to Bail Funds. Uh, you can go to Must Have Seen TV on Instagram and look at the link in bio for a link to all of the Bail Funds, uh, you know, resources and stuff, both national and also city by city. There are people right now that are protesting and peacefully demonstrating and trying to actually enact real change. And they're doing that in the middle of a pandemic. And they're also doing that against egregious police uh, violence and escalation that is... Oof, uh, really upsetting. And the least that I can do is donate money and urge other people and remind other people to donate money. So please, uh, please get into that. Uh, if you <laughs> link in bio on Instagram or y'all can just Google National Bailout Fund, Bailout Fund, uh, any help is greatly appreciated during this horrible time. 
So now let's uh, get into what we're going to talk about today. So I wanted to do another episode like I did last week about directors and find three, you know, uh, writers this time and highlight them and tell their stories and get into all that. And let me just tell you that it was hard to find writers. Um, apparently, directing is a much gayer profession in the sitcom world than writing. Uh, we all know acting is the gayest. Uh, there's a lot of queer actors that I can get into and we will hopefully get into uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but of the... Let me just look at my... So there are 132 people have written on the 92, 93 sitcoms that I've covered on the show. So it's, you know, 132. And I found five gay writers uh and i don't know if it's because it's harder there was a lot more information about directors personal lives out there than writers personal lives uh, director imdb imdb pages have birthday death day spouse usually there's a lot more information for some reason for directors writers i don't know if it's because we're a reclusive bunch maybe that's why i'm not a successful writer because i'm not that reclusive and i'm a showboat um but i only found five uh, Gary Dontzig wrote Murphy Brown. Uh, Jeffrey Cleric who wrote the Mad About You episode. Jamie Wooten and Mark Cherry, who together wrote two of the Golden Girls episodes that I have discussed. And Kenny Solms, who was a writer on the Carol Burnett show. And, I mean, truthfully, the thing that I really like about this project is going really far back. Like Arthur Lubin, a man born in the 1800s is like the prime example of that. I really like getting into old Hollywood and finding the queer, gay sides of... Things that we normally perceive as just very straight because, you know, your conservative family members just think that gay people were invented in the 70s. <laughs> um, if then. Uh, so I like doing that. And the problem, not really a problem, but the twist on those five writers is like they're all still working, still alive. I mean, Kenny Solomons actually is, you know, more classic, got to start in the 60s and 70s. So I did a lot of research on him. Um but, uh, instead of doing three, after I was doing research on someone else, uh, I was like, uh, this is the whole episode because this story is truly wild, truly next level. I thought I knew everything I knew about this man, but I did not. And that man is Dick Clare. Dick Clare, uh, well, the overview, the overview of Dick Clare and his connection to must have seen TV is that he is credited as the co-creator of Mama's Family, which he is. He is the co-creator of the family sketches uh, from Carol Burnett's show that were then spun off into Mama's Family. And then he also you know, wrote for episodes that season, including the pilot. So, yeah, he's the co-creator of Mama's Family. He's also credited as the co-creator of The Facts of Life, which I have yet to do on this show. And It's a Living, which is a short-lived sitcom that... I don't know. Wikipedia says the first three seasons are on Tubi, so I need to fire up my Tubi account and get up in that because why not? Now, Dick Clare is... You'll hear more about this in next week's episode because, yes, uh, peek behind the curtain, I've already recorded the Seinfeld episode with Mono. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but I talk a lot in that episode about how particular... Uh, deep into semantics and the weeds I am when it comes to talking about queer figures in history and whether or not to include them in things. Um, I'm very thorough about fact checking and I really, I, I'm always on the hunt for like the concrete was gay. This person was gay. Whether it is them saying it, one of their friends or family members saying it posthumously, like I'm always looking for that. It's a reason why Agnes Moorhead I don't talk about during Pride Month because even though she's widely considered to be um, a lesbian and has been 
you know, adopted by uh, lesbians as a figure. And I'm definitely not taking away. <laughs> taking, I'm not t- I'm not trying to take that away from people that cling on to Agnes Moorhead as a gay icon the way I do Paula and Charles Nelson Riley. Like, I'm not trying to take her away. But in terms of, like, my journalistic uh, integrity brain, I'm like, as if I'm going to get sued for a libel or slander. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to include someone in a in a thing if they might not have been. And there's a lot of... I've read a lot about Agnes Moorhead, and there's a lot of, like, weird speculation. I found a book about lesbians in uh, old Hollywood, and even in that book, they're like, oh, there are plenty of stories about Agnes Moorhead, but she herself never, ever told anyone herself. And a lot of the uh, quotes around it are Pauline, to a lot of people hypothesize as just being a catty bitch. <laughs> and they're like, you can't, like, Pauline is not a trustworthy narrator. So that is a long roundabout way of saying that, I can't find proof that Dick Claire was gay. And so that is why this whole episode is, um, I don't know, a branch, a step into uncomfortable territory, sort of. The thing is, is he was definitely gay. Um, he just, you have to read between the lines like you do with a lot of people that were, you know, born in the, uh, born in the thirties and died in the eighties. Like you have to, assume. And so there are these four things. He never married or had children, which if you are a scholar of gay TV history, that is red flag numero uno, never married or had children. Um, he met his writing partner, Jenna McMahon in West Hollywood, which I did the research and WeHo has been a gayberhood since prohibition. Yeah. <laughs> the gays have been flocking to West Hollywood for a long time. And actually West Hollywood had uh, its own pride protests, its own like, demonstrations against like policing and stuff in 1967 which is two years before stonewall that's i don't know super cool information i am going to do more research into that uh outside of this podcast he also point number three wrote the gay episode of mary Tellamore that i definitely talked about uh in passing on this episode on this uh, podcast but never devoted the whole episode to which hopefully that will change maybe soon i don't know he wrote the gay episode of that that starred robert moore who i talked about last week so that's point three. And then point four, uh, he died of AIDS. And that's just to be blunt. And it is like the fucking grim period that when you get a magnifying glass out, it's a skull uh, to look. Um, it's like, yeah, never married, had children, hung out in West Hollywood, wrote the gay episode of Mary Taylor Moore show, died of AIDS. <sighs> that's the outline. I mean, also, essentially, that is the outline of what we're going to be talking about today, except I'm leaving out one truly wild through line that I learned a lot about and just wait, just wait. So the story of Dick Clare, gay legend of sitcom history, he was born Richard C. Jones on November 12th, 1931 in San Francisco. No, I mean, I guess that's also a sign of him being gay. That's not true. Um, where you're born doesn't determine your sexuality. <laughs> but, I mean, San Francisco is like the gayest city in America. So, like, coincidence. And he died November 12th, 1988 uh, of AIDS. Um, over the course of his life, he was an eight-time Emmy nominee for The Carol Burnett Show, then Carol Burnett and Company, and then also Soap. And he actually won three Emmys for The Carol Burnett Show. So, the dude won. The dude... <laughs> Dick Claire made a huge mark on television, and we don't talk about him, uh, ever. Um, and well, it's gonna change right now. Uh, I don't know a lot about his early life. Honestly, like, finding out things about him was 
hard until I hit pay dirt, which we'll get to. I'm really, I'm really like teasing this, but like it is so worth it. I had to do a lot of research on his writing partner, Jenna McMahon. Actually, it's like her Wikipedia page has more info about him and about his early life than his does. But uh, he served in the military from 1955 to 1957. And then he met Jenna McMahon in 1961. So Jenna McMahon like moved to uh, she studied with, oh, Lord, she studied, like, acting and stuff. She opened a playhouse in West Hollywood and started with teaching acting. That's where she met Dick Clare, and they really hit it off. Um, she was about, like, six years older than him, so I think she was born in 25. So, she was the senior of the two. And they formed a comedy duo that performed at nightclubs. She apparently played the ditzy blonde, and he was, I guess, the straight man, ironically. And the two of them... There's a lot of this. There's a lot of this type of thing in the 60s where it is a gay man and a straight woman and they are playing husband and wife. I also did research on Kenny Solms from The Carol Burnett Show. And this is his story as well, just like five years earlier. Like he met Gail Parent and the two of them formed a air quote husband and wife comedy duo. And they became writing partners on The Carol Burnett Show at the beginning Whereas Dick Claire and Jenna McMahon were writing partners at the end. So like there is this like, uh, there's like this weird parallel. So that was a thing. So, you know, I guess I kind of think about like, who are the straight, the straight women in my life that I could have been, oh, comedy partners with in the sixties. Oh, what a time it could have been. Um, so this is where we're gonna get into the thick of it. Cause in the 1960s, at some point in the 1960s is when, Dick Clare got involved in the Cryonics Society of California. Yeah, I'm talking about cryogenic uh, freezing, freezing bodies, freezing heads, uh, freezing, freezing you up, hoping to thaw you out in hundreds of years when cures are discovered. It's Futurama, basically. This is Futurama. Um, so his sister, Claire Martin, was a New Jersey librarian and children's book author. She was quoted as saying after he passed that he was always a very unique person, like a visitor from another planet trying to figure things out here. I like that description. It's very unearthly, and you can see how a comedian would have that point of view. In 1987, Dick Clare himself uh, gave an interview um, where he said, and I quote literally, I've always thought death is a bummer. I remember when my father died, I had a fantasy about popping him in the freezer like an ear of corn, but I let that go. He did not let that go. He got back into it. Um, he also said to the interviewer, to me, cryogenics is a way to stay alive. It's like taking aspirin or vitamins. So in the 60s, he started to dabble. So let's just like put that in the back of your mind. Let's move on. In April 1966, Jenna and Dick Get on Art Linkletter's Hollywood Talent Scouts, which was like a short-lived show that talent, like already established Hollywood people, I think would bring on people that had never been on television before. Kind of like a, you know, um, America's Got Talent kind of deal. And they were on there as a comedy duo. This was like a turning point for them because then they just started popping up literally everywhere on television. Like the next year, they start a run on all these variety shows, which I'll get to in a second because... Oh, here it's back again. In late 1966, Dick attended the founding of the Cryonic Society of California. So, he's getting organized. <laughs> so, it's like, 1966 was Art Link Literary's Hollywood Talent Scouts, Cryonic Society of California, 
two big beginnings, two parallel storylines that will be uh, coming together at the very end here. So from 1967 to 1972, Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon appeared as a duo on the Dean Martin, Joey Bishop, Mike Douglas, Barbara Maynard, Everly Brothers, and Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, all of their variety shows. So it's a bunch of variety shows. And they were just kind of like a fixture of all those. And they would just go on and do comedy. They began a relationship with MTM again. There's parallels here with Robert Moore's story where MTM Productions, which did Mary Tyler Moore Show and Bob Newhart Show at this time, were very welcoming of uh, gay weirdos, I guess. Um, you know, and I also don't know how out Dick Claire was. I don't know, like, if they were posing as a husband and wife. Probably not. I don't know. These are the questions that I want answered that I, I need to try and figure out uh, how to get answered somehow. It's just sad. Um... So in January 1971, Dick had a role in the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, the episode Party is Such Sweet Sorrow. It was like a speaking role. It was a pretty big role. Then the fall of 71, both Jenna and Dick got cast in the variety show, The Funny Side, where he played wealthy husband and she played wealthy wife. And I looked at the cast list and like all of the characters are like, you know, blue collar husband, blue collar wife, farmer, husband, farm. Like it's that. So I'm assuming it's just a bunch of marriage sketches. Seems like a very narrow, uh, very narrow, um, scope for a show, which is why it only lasted uh, under a season. But it's good that it didn't last because that freed them up to do other things. In January of 1972, they became a writing duo and yeah, their first, like, I guess writing script like uh, credit was a Mary Tyler Moore show episodes they wrote two episodes of season two of Mary Tyler Moore Phoebe and the care and feeding of parents then in the fall of 72 they jumped over to the Bob Newhart show and wrote the episode mom I love I love love you (laughs) which is a really funny episode about Bob uh, Hartley not being comfortable telling his mother that he loves him very sweet I love that episode January 1973 they went back to Mary Tyler Moore and they wrote two more episodes Remembrance of Things Past and My Brother's Keeper. So My Brother's Keeper is one of my favorite episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. It is the episode, as I said last week, when Robert Moore comes back to play Phyllis's, um, not like erstwhile long lost, just like her brother is visiting and her brother Ben. And Phyllis thinks that he is dating Rhoda because they're always hanging out together, going out to clubs and stuff. And at the end, Rhoda's like, Ben is gay. We're not together. (laughs) And it is treated as like a huge relief because it would be awful if Ben was dating Rhoda. And it is, I think, the second ever depiction of a gay character in a sitcom after All in the Family did one the year before, maybe a year and a half before. And there's such a, just like a humanity and sweetness to Robert Moore's portrayal of Ben that I really like. And I wish that he had appeared more and there's just something really special about that episode knowing that it was written by a 99% certain gay man starring a gay man as a gay character which you know what honestly might be the first time that ever happened unless there were any gay writers on Perry Mason um although Perry Mason was not a gay character played by a gay actor though in February 73, so a month later, they both guest starred, Jenna and Dick, guest starred in the Bob Newhart show episode, A Home is Not Necessarily a House. I do like that while they were writing, they were, the writers, the shows were like, these writers are also really good performers. They just put them in as, like, guest stars on a couple of episodes. I just think it's very interesting. 
In April 73, they wrote <laughs> Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, a special, which I don't know if it's like a comedy retelling of Paul Revere or what. That's a thing that has piqued my interest and I want to figure out what that is. So half hour sitcoms, they were good at writing half hour sitcoms. Those four episodes of Mary Tell More and that one episode of Bob Newhart are really good episodes, but they didn't stick with that. Instead, they took, you know, a smart move and they went and did five years, five seasons, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven on the Carol Burnett show. So they joined the Carol Burnett show in September 73 and they were on it till March 78. And while they were there, so while they were there, they also, in February 74, they were still writing sitcom episodes. They wrote an episode of the new Dick Van Dyke show called Commercial Housewives. Um, Jenna and Dick did. And I want to watch the new Dick Van Dyke show so badly because Richard Dawson is on it. <laughs> and I can't find it. I don't know where it is. Um, so March 74 is when, like, history is made. TV history is made. The family the sketch that would ultimately become the Mama's Family debuts in March 74, uh, Season 7, Episode 23 of The Carol Burnett Show. So, like, these sketches were created and written by Dick Claire and Jenna McMahon. They wrote them. It was their idea. Um, they initially wanted Carol Burnett to play Mama, and they wanted just, like, a guest star to play Eunice, but Burnett was like, no, I'm going to play Eunice. Um, it's just she gave Mama to Vicky Lawrence. It's so crazy to think that Mama was not created just specifically around Vicky Lawrence because it's just such a perfect match of character and actor. That's just so great. It was also Carol Burnett's idea to make the family Southern or like have those accents because Carol Burnett is from Texas. And this made Dick Claire and Jenna McMahon so mad. Like the Wikipedia summary says that they like stormed out. They ripped up their pens and pencils and like threw a fit. Because they were offended. That, no, because they were convinced that it was going to offend Southerners. So they saw one read through, super mad, and then they did it at the live show, and everyone loved it. Everyone loved it a lot. It became the most enduring thing from the Carol Burnett show, and they uh, were like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I guess you uh, called that. You're right. Cool. So, yeah, we're going to write all of these, and there are going to be a lot of them. <laughs> so they then wrote all of them, including the Eunice... Um, TV movie and then Mama's Family. Like they, it's them. It's uh, Dick and Jenna. That's, that's, they did it. Um, October 1974, also while they're still on the Carol Burnett show, they wrote an episode of Mod called Walter's Dream. Y'all, December 1977, they're still on the Carol Burnett show and they take time. They take time to go do <laughs> Paul Lynn's Twas the Night Before Christmas special. Now, you ask me, Brett. You haven't wasted your time watching Paul Lynn's Twas the Night Before Christmas special, to which I respond, yes. Oh, I 100% have. The man, me, who throws Gomez Adams's Paul Lynn's Halloween special Halloween party every single year where I dress up like Gomez Adams and then make everyone watch <laughs> the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Uh, yeah, you bet I tracked down Twas the Night Before Christmas a couple of Christmases ago. It is unwatchable. And I love the Paul and Halloween special. It is, it's legitimately good. <laughs> okay, I'm truly biased. I'm truly like, I got Paul and blinders on uh, when it comes to that special because like, it's awful, but it's so great. It's so great. Twas the Night Before Christmas is dramatic. It's serious. It's not as funny and campy. It's a narrative too. Like it's an hour long, like story. It's not a variety show. It's truly wild and it should still be on youtube if you want to google that and have a little christmas in uh, july next month 
in May 79, so like they are done with Carol Burnett's show uh, in spring 78. In May 79, I, I want to find out more about this. They're just brought on for the Different Strokes season one finale, an episode titled The Girls' School. They don't write the episode. They just come up with the story with two other writers, Howard Leeds and Ben Starr. And that episode is a backdoor pilot for The Facts of Life. So what is going on? It's like Different Strokes brought in two ringers, Dick Claire and Jenna McMahon, to write, to like come up with a story for two other people who wrote the script. So in August 79... Facts of Life starts, and Claire McMahon are credited as the creators of the show, while Star and Leeds are credited as developers. Claire McMahon never wrote an episode of The Facts in Life, but because they, like, help provide the story, help break the story of that different Strokes episode, they got creator credit, and then they got residuals. They got different Strokes. You know, they got The Facts of Life created by <laughs> residuals uh, forever. So... I mean, like, you can retire right then. Because that show ran until May 88. It ran throughout almost all of the 80s. Nine seasons. Uh, I mean, like, honestly, it ran all the way up until he died seven months after it ended. Like, it ran that long. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's wild. So, also in 79. Let's get our other track. <laughs> Don't forget about this part of the story. In 1979, Dick Claire became a suspension member of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. And also throughout the 70s and also, I guess, into the 80s, he was like going to cryogenic social functions. He hosted holiday gatherings for the employees and stuff. He was apparently always at the Alcor Life Extension like offices. Like he was they all remembered him. They all knew him. He was a bud and a pal, and he made friends there. Now, Alcor Life Extension is... Now, trust, I did not do a lot of research into cryogenics, um, but from what I can tell, what I've gathered is when people talk about being cryogenically frozen, I do believe they're talking about specifically Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Like, that is the thing. I I don't know how many other places are doing cryogenics. Um, it seems like a very expensive silly endeavor i mean that's uh, no shade to dick claire um but i think that when people talk about cryogenics they're talking about this place this specific place so in 1979 he's like you know what i'm becoming an official member making it uh you know we're committed to this and also at that time he and jenna joined the writing staff of soap 
and they are on so this is their first return to like really writing regular uh sitcom episodes and stuff and they're on season four of soap it gets nominated for an emmy um and it was really it's it's crazy because also at this time the facts of life is going it's like running and like the show they created is running and then also they're on soap and then also in october of 1980 i guess after they like finish their uh run on soap they co-created another show called it's a living now it's a living it's a show about like waitresses i do believe um the only the only thing that i really know about it is that crystal bernard from wings got her start there (laughs) so that show similar to mama's family it had two seasons on a network it was on abc from 1980 to 1982 and then it was canceled retooled a bit came back in 1985 and it lasts until 89 for four more seasons so a total of six seasons six seasons for a show that no one talks about it's kind of like where is kate and Allie? why isn't kate and Allie streaming why have i never seen an episode of kate and Allie? why have i like never heard of an episode of kate and Allie? jane Curtin was on television for so long and i haven't seen them i want to stream it same thing with it's a living but apparently it's on tubi so i need to get on that just like facts of life they never wrote an episode of it's a living they came up with the story for like the pilot they didn't write the script and then done like <laughs> it's just it's I, I kind of love this like um journeyman like gunslinger thing like they roll into town come up with a hit idea then bounce like someone else's problem now <laughs> we did the hardest work of coming up with a thing you guys keep it running in march 82 eunice uh eunice i feel like i'm saying it wrong guys i'm not super into I'm getting into Carol Burnett a lot more. Uh, <laughs> Eunice, uh, they co-wrote that together. That came out March 82, which is about the time like they decided, oh, there's legs to the family outside of the Carol Burnett show. This is the seeds being, well, they've already been planted. This is them getting watered for Mama's family. Also in 1982, Dick Clare donated $20,000 to the cryonics organization Trans Time, which, like... It's whole, so the whole thing, and that speaks to the whole deal with cryonics is like, you want to essentially be a time traveler. You want to go like be frozen now, be woken up in the future when your disease can be cured. And like the things that I read said they hold your body for like 50 to 150 years. So like, I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. I don't want to jump too far ahead. So in 1983, January is when Mama's Family debuts as a mid-season replacement. They wrote four se- four episodes in season one, and season one was only like 13 episodes. They wrote a full third of that first season. So, <laughs> so that makes Mama's Family the first of the three long-running shows they created that they actually wrote episodes of. <laughs> and what what a show to write episodes of. I, we need to do a lot more Mama's Family on this show. Mama's Family is so much so much fun. Such a great cast. Uh, so many legends. Um, if you want a fun rabbit hole, look up videos of Ken Berry dancing. That's just my advice. If you want an immediate pick-me-up, Go see what young Vinton was doing on the, on the stage. It's amazing. I love him. So, so now we're in 1986. Uh, 1986 is when Dick Claire was diagnosed with AIDS. And this sets into motion uh, a chain of events that, like, I mean, in a way, like, changed the world, changed California. Uh, we'll get to it coming up. 
1986, he's diagnosed with AIDS, but he's still working. In 1987, he wrote on the ABC special Carol, Carl, Whoopi, and Robin. There's Shark, Carol Burnett, Carl Reiner, Whoopi Goldberg, and Robin Williams. What a fantastic four. This is also the time... Ugh. So, as is evident, at this point, he's been obsessed with cryonics for 25 years. Um, right? Yeah, like 25 years. And now he's diagnosed with AIDS. And so he knows, like, I have all these chips. I've donated $20,000. I've been a member of this. Like, this is my hangout spot. Um, I have to, like, commit to this. Um, and as Jenna McMahon said, that he stopped flying. He was so afraid of doing anything that would damage his body to the point that he would not be able to be unfrozen. Like, that would mutilate his body or whatever. Like, he wanted to go you know, peacefully of an illness and not of like a tragic accident. So he stopped flying. She said he was so worried that his body would get destroyed and there'd be nothing to freeze. This is also when, so a thing that I've learned about cryonics is like, they admit that like, (laughs) it's like, even under the best case scenario of this highly, I don't know, slim chance thing, it seems like, uh, or even like, yeah, your memories are going to be kind of fucked up. Like you're not going to come. There was like, I read one thing that was like, there was a dog at Alcor in the early 80s that was, like, they froze it at, like, 40 degrees something. <clears throat> they froze the dog for, like, four hours, and he came out, like, death limping. Like, honestly, it's animal. That is, that's straight-up animal abuse. Um, but it's like, oh, that's your example? For, after four hours, <laughs> after he was frozen and resuscitated, he's, like, deaf and, like, just a shell of his former self. Like, that's... Oof. So they were like, best case scenario, there's going to be some shit wrong. So because of that, he knew that. He was like, I'm going to save everything. So as Jenna continued, he saved every scrap of paper, letters from grade school, drawings, even copies of letters he wrote to his parents and friends. Um, he also took his house in Toluca Lake and he filled the garage, bedrooms, dining room. He filled all of it with like his journals, notebooks, even like napkins, clippings, audio tapes, just like everything. His whole life was in those boxes, said McMahon. So why did he do that? Uh, he, so again, as she said, he planned to use them to help reconstruct who he was after he woke up from being frozen. Dick even, like, he told Alcor, hey, while I'm out, you need to put all this stuff on microfilm. Microfilm. Which means they had, like, does Alcor actually have that? Can I, I <laughs> can I get that? I definitely can't get that. Um, like, that's, that is truly, like, wild. I mean, I'm picturing something out of Hoarders when you hear about that quote about his house in Toluca Lake where, like, every room was just filled with boxes of papers because when he wakes up, he wants to be able to read all of it and, like, remember who he was. Like, that's some, I mean, honestly, that's, like, comic book stuff. That's uh, Carol Danvers as Ms. Marvel, like, rogue kind of stuff. That's, Google it if that did not immediately click with you, that reference. <laughs> um but it just shows like the how committed he was. In 1988, he was hospitalized due to AIDS, uh, due to complications and illnesses. And he in the hospital was like, yeah, I want cryonics treatment. Like when I die, they need to get in here and like. It is a whole process. I'm kind of squeamish about surgery stuff. And it involves like removing all your blood, pumping you full of pumping you full of like cryonics juice, which 
<laughs> Alcor, it says, is like, it's kind of like antifreeze in a car or something crazy like that. Like, they make it sound like it's like an automobile-like oil change. It's, they need to do a lot of stuff in order for the cryonics uh, to happen. And at the time, this was like, this is not legal. So, a court battle happened while he was still alive. It was, the court case was Roe versus Roe v. Mitchell. Dick Claire went by John Roe in the case. And Dick won. So, if you uh, want to get cryonically preserved in California, it is because of Dick Claire that you can. And here is where um, here is where the story ends, but also begins. Uh, on December 12, 1988, he died. Um, Dick Claire passed away of multiple AIDS-related infections at the age of 57. Uh, I don't know why this interests me, but like Mama's Family was 91 episodes into its run of 130 episodes. They still had like another season and a half uh, to go. It's like his legacy lived on. Like Facts of Life, it ended. Um, and I guess It's a Living was also still going as well, right? Looking back through my notes. Yeah, till 89. Yeah, so it's he still had two shows on the air. It's just crazy. In syndication. He's kind of like this early pioneer of syndicated TV in a way. So here's where, like, he passes. And if you, if you want a, uh, very detailed and with pictures, not, okay. So if you just Google it, I found it. There's a case report, alcor.org slash library. It's case report 8901. And it is him. It is the, like, from, you know, 1989, from like early 89. From yeah, January eighty nine. That's what eighty nine oh one is. Oh my god, um, it is just like I don't know if it's like the um, memo they sent out to like club members or whatever, just detailing every single step they took to preserve his life. Like when they got to the hospital, when they removed him, when they got him to Scottsdale, where uh, Alcor is what they did the temperatures like it is everything and it is very long and there are photos none of them are grizzly photos like there's no you can't ever you can never see dick in any of the photos you can see like the outline of a man covered in ice um and stuff like that uh and they're really like grainy black and white photos it's just it's very creepy and it's very it's very just i did not expect to find a uh beat by beat case report of dick claire's freezing on the internet but there it was Uh, so that all happened like they go they freeze him so also in the couple so right before he died here's what happened alcor was initially the sole beneficiary of dick claire's will um he was going he left them a million dollars so they got a million which is 2.1 2.1 million dollars today uh so they got that right up right off the bat um also side note it costs a hundred thousand dollars in 1988 to get frozen which like i don't know for some reason that doesn't sound like a lot for <laughs> to be cryogenically frozen like a hundred thousand dollars i don't know um i guess because it's like <laughs> how do you put a price tag on forever <laughs> i don't like it, it just seems like i don't know what is not enough what is too much it's such like sci-fi technology that i'm like a hundred thousand dollars sure i guess that's sure now so yeah alcor was a sole beneficiary of the will the residuals though highly contested the residuals initially were all going to go to alcor and those residuals at that time just for facts of life which had just gone into syndication was eight hundred thousand dollars a year 
$800,000 a year in reruns for Facts of Life alone. That is not taking into account Mama's Family, which would be wrapping up shortly and then going into syndication itself. And I mean, I was a kid of the 90s. Mama's Family was everywhere. I would honestly say Mama's Family, for me growing up in Nashville, like the Nashville area of Tennessee, was way more prominent than Facts of Life. I've still never really watched Facts of Life because it was not in syndication where I lived or I didn't really find it. Uh, Mama's Family was. Mama's Family was everywhere. And I have Logo now and... <laughs> Logo will run like two day long marathons of Mama's Family every week. <laughs> so you can't imagine the like the, the the residuals money is nuts. But fifty six hours before Dick passed, uh, he updated his will so that instead of all of his residuals going to Alcor, only half would. He then changed his executive the executive of his estate from being a Alcor board member. To Jenna McMahon, who, I mean, he was working with her right to 87, like the year before, is when the two of them wrote on that Carol Burnett, Carol Carl, Whoopi, and Robin special. Like, they were together. It's really beautiful. Um, I do love, I did find this salty quote. So, the Alcor board member that McMahon replaced with the executor of uh dick's state was like he was so mad that he said that she was <laughs> he said jenna has probably never come closer to cryonics and defrosting lima beans <laughs> oh you got her oh she's gonna be reeling from that insult um so now instead of all of the residuals going to alcor half would go to alcor and the other half would be divided between his sister and his 10 nieces and nephews, his surviving sister. I, I assume the word surviving is used, which I guess implies that he had other siblings that had passed by this point. And McMahon said that in like the final days of his life, uh, Dick had realized that his relatives were not well off and that he needed to help them, especially, I don't know, maybe he saw like, oh, I'm getting $800,000 a year in Facts of Life residuals. This can go towards uh, them. And just to like put the money in perspective. Uh, so Mama's fan. So like if $400,000. So in 1988, 400000 is going to Alcor. 400000 is going to the family. That is in 2020, $866,000 a year. That means that, you know, if the residuals are still kicking along in 2020, which honestly they might be, because seriously, a lot of cable networks uh, are built on Facts of Life and Mama's Family. His family members are getting $78,000 a year each. That's, that's, that is, that's, they don't have to work. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I, I should, do I need to find a private investigator to find those nieces and nephews? I just, I want to know more about the man. I want to know more about his life. I want to know more about their lives. Like, how do you, are you going through life being like, this is mama's family money. Mama's family money bought me this car, bought me my education. Like, that's crazy. I, I love that. So yeah, he decided he needed to help them. And looking at those numbers, help them, he most likely definitely has. But Alcor was not having this. They insisted that Dick was mentally incompetent and that he was totally disoriented whenever he signed that. They like sued, like they, they got legal about it. Um, so Claire's family came back with 12 witnesses who were all like, he is competent. He was competent when he signed it over. And, um, so yeah, also both sides did agree that he was hallucinating. Um, Jenna McMahon's attorney, Ronald Palmieri said that, um, 
Dick said there were balloons coming off the wall, but he knew he was hallucinating and that there were really no balloons there. It was like a 60s acid trip. To which Alcor's lawyer was like, would you let someone on a 60s acid trip change their will? Which is like, come on, dude. He was hallucinating, but apparently he knew he was hallucinating. So, like, that's something. So, Alcor fought Dick Clare's family for six months until they finally just, like, dropped the lawsuit and settled and they even agreed to play to pay the legal costs for Dick's family. So the reason why they dropped the lawsuit and settled is because they realized they did not have a shot in court because they're a cryogenics company. To which, this is an actual quote from Mike Darwin, Alcor's director of research, whose last name is Darwin. Um, he said, I think there was an anti-cryonics bias. They literally were like, if we were any other type of company, like a court would totally side with us. But because we're into freezing people using shaky science, also like, <laughs> oh man, I sure Mike, this Mike Darwin guy, he's not a scientist. <laughs> um, he had like some other profession. I can't remember what it was, but it was like, he's not even like he admits that he doesn't really know what's going on. So, yeah, there was an anti-cryonics bias, and that is why they dropped the lawsuit and Dick Clare's family got half those residuals every year. Um, Jenna McMahon, uh, she, like, doesn't like Al... She did not like Alcor at this time, obviously. They just, like, accused uh, her writing partner and presumably best friend of almost 30 years of lying and being cuckoo in order to get... A lot of money, even though they were already $400,000 a year is a lot of money. Um, she said that she was still happy that they were going to be taking care of him indefinitely. The quote that she said around this time was, I told him that if there was any problem with Alcor, I'd freeze him myself. That was all he really wanted out of life. Oof. So, um, that's friendship. I mean, that's weird, but it's, I mean, it's friendship. Like, she knew that's what he wanted. That's why she fought so hard. Dickler's body is still cryogenically frozen at the Alcor Life Extension Foundation in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, 1,731 bodies are there as of August 2019, including, or in addition, in addition to that, 33 animals. Dick was the ninth human to be frozen. In 1992, um, Jenna McMahon... She didn't, she barely continued. Like, after he passed, she was a producer on Julie Andrews's very short-lived sitcom, Julie, which lasts, like, seven episodes. And then she retired right after that. Um, and presumably, she could have retired a lot sooner because if Dick was getting that much money for Facts of Life residuals, she's also getting that much, like, God. Um, and then Jenna McMahon died of heart failure on March 2nd, 2015, at the age of 89. And, I don't know, I'll leave on this quote from Jenna McMahon about him. His sister asked me if he was ever really happy, and I honestly don't know. He was always so worried about the future, about living forever. And it, I, God, I haven't really taken time to wrap my head around what it means to be a gay man in the... A gay man born in the 30s, coming up in the 60s and 70s, having all this success. And then, like, getting AIDS, like, and 
you I don't know. It's this thing of like he was already obsessed with chronics in the 60s. Like there was a fear of death and a desire for immortality that is like baked into his DNA that is independent of him being gay. Like that's there from, you know, the early 60s, maybe the 50s, like a long time. But you also have to wonder that he in the 80s is looking at a uh, pandemic that is destroying the gay community and a presidency that is not acknowledging it and people are treating it literally like a plague like people that are getting this disease deserve it and it served to die and you know he's one of them he's got it um and it's like his way out like his way out wasn't medicine like he wasn't going to survive no one was like (laughs) cure was nowhere in sight no one would even acknowledge that it existed it's like cryonics is the I mean, he was as good a shot as any, a best shot in a way. Like, it's just really wild. And I wish, I mean, I wish that there was more of his story out there. I mean, I do want to know. Of course, I want to know, like, who was he dating? Did he, who did he love? Did he love? Did he find, did he have a partner? Um, Was he, (laughs) just like his sister asked, was he ever really happy? Uh, I mean, Jenna didn't even know that. She was presumably, like, by his side all the time. I don't know. But when you look at the things that he accomplished, you know, five years on Carol Burnett's show, writing some of the best episodes, like, one of my favorite episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show, creating, co-creating the Facts of Life and Mama's Family, like, really, like, co-creating Mama. In that show, like, also becoming such a gay touchstone as well. God, there's a whole other discussion to be had about the the drag of Mama's family. Vicky Lawrence is in drag when she's doing Mama. And there's just such a... I mean, it's why me and my husband love it. There's such a good gay sensibility to that show. And I think you can owe a lot of that to the fact that Dick Clear was there. So that is Dick Clare's life summed up, um, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> hopefully that is informative and will make you think about Facts of Life and specifically Mom's Family. Uh, and hey, it's a living. Track it down on Tubi if it's there. I haven't fact-checked that. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I don't know how to end these when it gets, like, really uh, sad, but... I, you know, hopefully now you have something to think about when you watch Mama's Family. That is truly, I mean, like a story that I did not know before I started digging. I knew that he was cryogenically frozen. I did not know all that, like numbers and quotes and all the legal battles. And it's, it's a great story. And he is living forever. I mean, as I said, Mama's Family, the facts of life are still on TV. He should be on streaming as well, but they're on TV. And that is it for another Must Have Pride episode of Must Have Seen TV. I want to thank everyone for listening. I got good good feedback uh, about the director's episode, and that means a lot to me. I've gotten really good feedback about the Golden Girls one. I hope y'all are also listening to the Roseanne one and enjoying that. Hope you enjoyed this one. I did not drink during this, so hopefully there weren't any slurping sounds. Um, please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. This is, you know, just to be blunt and honest, I have three one-star reviews on iTunes. I have 45 star reviews. 
This is, you know, psychology in a nutshell. I am focusing on those three one-star reviews and that one two-star review, which was left by accident, by the way, because I found that person left a written review and it's a glowing written review, but it's a two-star review. I don't know what happened there. I reported it to Apple like, this person, I don't think they meant to leave a two-star. It doesn't really matter, but if you can please go, I would love to see that five-star review number just skyrocket a little bit. And if you want to write out a review, that is even better because I will read it on the podcast. But other than that, um, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at MustHaveSeenTV. Please donate to bail funds. You can find the link to a good list of all those on the Instagram link in bio profile or just Google national bailout bailfunds.github.io. Like, it's there. Or, you know, go to a protest, go to a demonstration march uh give money to i mean on like any charity that helps black lives right now is a good one to do i really hope that you uh enjoyed this episode and i will see y'all next time on must have seen tv when we'll be talking about the seinfeld episode the outing as must have pride month continues see y'all y'all come back now you hear <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.